Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out People of Product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called PillowCube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow. That's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. Zane meditation and also guys doing Zane and really what they were talking is okay we try to overcome our ego make ourselves permeable and so on and so forth and what I thought okay I don't have to go to that <laughs> a place far away somewhere in Japan I mean I can practice overcoming my ego and being permeable every day in my family and really that's and really yeah and I think that's so Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Matthias Harris. Matthias, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I think this is kind of fun because out of almost 600 episodes, I think you're the first person that I had no connection to that we only made friends because you were a listener of the show. And then I was like, you know what? You need to come on the show. So tell people tell people a bit about your, your career background and what you're up to these days. Yeah. So basically, I would say I'm a builder and I'm a nomad. So meaning so far, I started my professional career with 16. I went to a bank as bank clerk doing my apprenticeship there, then working another year there. And then let's say I had the first major pivot because I recognized, okay, that's not the job that I want to do for the rest of my life. Then I went back to school, studied mathematics, doing my PhD there started in, let's say, algorithm developing for a big corporate and then had the next major pivot into innovation management. Yeah, and there I am. And currently, I'm just about to have the next major pivot because now I'm leaving my life as employee and starting uh, my life as a freelancer and also a startup founder. Yeah. So this idea, you know, Siemens is obviously an enormous company. And I, I have some guesses on why it would be attractive, but what was it about doing innovation at Siemens that you thought that's what, that's what I want to do? Actually, it was more kind of stumbling into uh, that field. So actually, when I applied for the job, then, I mean, what I was really looking for was the environment and the team and the colleagues that I spent my time with. So, I mean, I had 
then in the end, after a lot of applications, I had some jobs to choose. And I mean, there were all, let's say, challenging tasks out there. But I chose Siemens because of the team and especially, let's say, about the colleagues and the hiring process. So, so my first manager, she did a really great job. And I mean, yeah, I mean, kind of typically when you uh, apply for jobs in Germany, you speak with the hiring manager and then that's it. And on your first day, you just step into the office for the first time. You see your colleagues for the first time. And she did quite the opposite. So she walked me around, spent the whole day with me, showed me the team. And of course, afterwards, she could collect thumbs up or thumbs down. And I mean, that also made me want to stay and want to go there. Yeah. You know, I'm such a fan of, I'm such a fan of cars and uh, you guys have a reputation in your country for making some pretty great cars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now you live pretty close to the Nuremberg track, don't you? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I I grew up in the area around Stuttgart. Oh, did you? 17 kilometers. Yeah, exactly. So 17 kilometers away from the major assembly line from Mercedes and also the native town from Porsche. So, yes, <laughs> that's kind of really was very prominent in the area where I grew up. Yeah, lucky. So I, I, I am interested because I, I am a fan of, you know, I, I've, 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 had I've had both of those vehicles and I'm a fan. Yeah, <laughs> I'm interested, though, you know, for us in the States, those can be so exotic and, you know, especially certain models. But, you mm -hmm. know, I was really surprised, like as an older teenager to find out like you have Mercedes taxis and like, you know, stuff like this. Yeah. What do you think that? Yeah, exactly. How would you how would you say it's different to just grow up around those all over the place compared to like an American mindset about those those brands? I would say it's kind of I mean, let's say kind of the parents from my friends, they the majority of them worked for Mercedes, so it was quite normal to see, let's say, even guys really for just kind of, so, I mean, basically, you saw the Mercedes all over there, so, and I mean, it's also, for a long time, it has been really the, really the proud also of that area, so, I mean, that's, okay, we are, that small area and we have so much of the big corporates out there but i think also in the meantime things have a little bit shifted nowadays because i mean you have that major changes in that industry you have other players who were laughed at at the beginning but who are now building their factories in berlin and really kind of have uh, yeah come to mature players and i think nowadays things are a little bit shifting and i think also people are not only proud of having that industry but really also significant sorrows that the industry i don't know how it will look like in 10 or 20 years mm. but it's still the backbone from economic sense of that area you know it's interesting to me having been such a porsche fan all these years and been lucky enough to to drive one for for a while and the the taiga this this electric you know <laughs> this electric machine that, you know, that you can launch it over and over without it overheating or without it having, you know, the, the troubles that a Tesla has when you when you want to do that over and over, I think is a pretty interesting engineering feat that I'm just waiting for the price to come down about $200,000 so I can look at one, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. but, but fascinating what they've done there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, there's still a lot of engineering, let's say, knowledge went into yeah that technology stack. I mean, it's still still really as i just said it's really the backbone of 
of that industry area because it's not just the car manufacturers it's also all the cnc machine tool builders also all then the kind of smes working in that area so it's really huge yeah you know i'm interested you know germany obviously has such a such an amazing engineering reputation and, and you look at mm. giant companies like like siemens and there's what you know 137 billion dollar market cap today and i mean what is it? Almost 300,000 employees, right? Um, yeah, around that number. Two, 290 or something like that, right? So I'm interested in what you feel like are, are some of the lessons that you're bringing from that experience now to, to being the freelance innovation coach. I would say that, I mean, if you look into a corporate from outside, it looks really as one corporate. You have all over, let's say, the corporate from outside. You think, okay, it's one team, it's one, one. So there is really, let's say, they are doing close. And if you, let's say, work inside, it's not. I mean, you have department A, you have department B, you have corporate politics, but you have also the team spirit there. And I think you have to know how to navigate. So I think that's also a different thing between, let's say, being an entrepreneur and being an intrapreneur. So as the intrapreneur, you really have to know how to play corporate politics. And if you don't know it, you won't get anything moved in, in a corporate. Yeah. I know there can be confidentiality issues. Are there any of the projects you worked on there that you are allowed to talk about publicly or not so much? Maybe more on the general learning side, I would say. Okay. Yeah. So... I mean, what I think is one of the, I mean, when I stepped into that field, I mean, my, my background is mathematician. And so I'm really trained to work exact. And typically when I approach a new field of research or new area, then I just went go out there and search for white papers and try to bring me into the game by reading and studying. And when I started here with that innovation management topic, then I did the same and it didn't feel right from the very first moment on because it, and in the end, I mean, now I know it's, it's really not the way to come into that um, area because I mean, of course you need to know the, the tools you need to know. I mean, there are tools which are helpful, but in the end, it's really more about the, it's really more art than science. It's really more about humans, about the context, about the projects, about the team, about adapting to, to people, connecting with them. And, and so that's why I now really stopped reading and switched more to podcast listening. And that's also why I started listening to your podcast, because there you really see all that experience or hear these experienced guys. And I think the most valuable thing for me is, is not so much the content, what they say, but really, really through that words of what they say, coming very close to the spirit. And I think the spirit which lives in these guys is really the vivid thing. And the thing that, let's say, I as innovation manager need to carry in me in order to spread the fire around me. So, and I think that's more or less a core theme that I carried over from one project to another. So besides the actual topic, I think it's very important to attach an additional domain there and an, an additional kind of dimension. And it's exactly this dimension of the how and how you inspire and how you interact. And I think if something goes wrong, then it's typically not so much a technical skills, but really 
really because things work not out on a human level. Yeah, it's so true. You know, I'm interested, a question I haven't asked you on our previous correspondence. You know, it, it's obviously very complimentary to me when I start this little, I start this little podcast and then it, it goes well. And I've got, you know, innovation managers from $130 billion companies writing me saying mm. that they listen all the time. You know, it's like very personally gratifying, right? But I, I am interested, I haven't asked you this before. There are so many podcasts. I mean, I think there's yeah. Recent guests are over a million podcasts out there now. This would be interesting for me. When you think about why you listened to this one so much, what yeah. was it what was it about this one compared to maybe other podcasts that you didn't you haven't listened to as many episodes? I think what I'm looking for is I'm looking for for growth, for pushing my boundaries, for learning new stuff. And I mean, there are so many podcasts out there. And I mean, sometimes when I start listening to an episode and after 15 minutes, the host has spoken as much as the guest, then I know, okay, it's maybe more about him or her. And it's more about something that, I mean, podcast is one of the most overlooked advertising thing out there and so on and so forth. But I mean, that's not my thing. I mean, I really listen it in my spare time when I'm out there, when I go for a hike or something like that. And then I really want to have some valuable thing on my ear. And I think the, the best thing that can happen during a podcast is that you really, the guest that is interviewed that for that moment that I listen to this guy, he be, really becomes my personal coach without knowing me, my personal mentor without knowing me, because I draw so much value out of the wisdom that these guys are telling. And I think that happened in that podcast to me over and over again. Oh, that's, that's so nice of you to say, you know, I think, cause, cause I, I love the books. I'm such an audiobook nerd. I feel like there's this great advantage of books of like, somebody spends a lot of time to make it like, I don't know, nutrient dense, you know, like they, they synthesize and they boil it down and, and they very often have the time to think through a full framework. But, but the other side that I, I don't love about books is when they get so polished, you end up not finding out about the nuances and I lose a lot yeah. about who they are as an individual. And that's why, like, I, I listen to so many talks on YouTube and I just I have the YouTube premium app so I can just flip to other yeah. screens or have it in my pocket and it's still playing like a podcast or or pod, you know, certain podcasts, especially when I know the right guest. I'll yeah. I'll try and follow that guest when they've been on multiple other shows and just see, like, what's the nuance when yeah, they tell exactly. that when they when they tell that story over again on somebody else's show? What, what's the other nugget that I you know, that came out yeah. because it was just impromptu and they're just they're shooting from the hip. And something that's not necessarily yeah. polished, but potentially exactly. highly valuable comes out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly the thing that I'm also looking for is the things that, not the polished things, but really the things that kind of, it's just the, the sentences that or, or the things that come after the comma, just because at the end of the sentence, they say something. And that really sometimes is the, the things that really stick with me and really provide the most value to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we had Steve Blank on the show and it, it, it's, you know, I've talked about this before. He's been one of my favorite episodes out of almost 600 episodes now. And he, you know, this idea of customer discovery isn't new. I read about it in the startup owner's manual, you know, mm -hmm. like he, he, the guy is because of the lean startup book, you know, that Eric Ries wrote about mm -hmm. his methodology. It's, mm -hmm. you know, he's a famous guy. His, his ideas have been spread far and wide, but 
when I got yeah. to personally talk to him, it was like I was learning the ideas completely fresh. It was like, it wasn't that it was a new concept. It was a, like it like sunk in when I was hearing it from him. And there's, yeah. there's one thing like, I don't, for instance, something I never got in all the YouTube talks of his I've watched and the books of his I've read is mm -hmm. his courses. He requires startups to go do a customer discovery call with a hundred potential customers in 10 weeks. Like that's yeah. not like sitting around the table and talking your co-partners into like, Oh yeah, we, this is for sure yeah, going to work. Exactly. And like asking your mom and your cousin and your brother-in-law and like going out and get like three potential clients and be like, Oh, see, we were right. Look, these, these three guys said yes. Right. You haven't yeah. asked them for money. Have, there's all these things that haven't happened, but we pat ourselves on the back of how smart we are. And you're like, man, a hundred's a lot. And then he says, well, except for my startups, because he had eight of them and he sold his last one for 8 billion. He's like, mm -hmm. when I did it, I would do 200 to 300. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's, it's that, anyways, that's what I like the rawness of the YouTube interviews, the podcast interviews, at least for me, it sounds like it's similar for you. Yeah, and I think also, especially about the lean startup approach, I mean, when you hear it and also sometimes the way how it's told and how it's uh, teached, it's, it's that focus around that fast learn, build, measure cycles. And I think one of the things that I also learned during my time as innovation manager and also before, it's not the solution space that you need to focus on first. It's really the problem space that you have to carefully evaluate before you do any kind of fast iterations. Because if you don't get the point of what are the customer points, what are really the sorrows out there, what, I mean, and exactly what you said, it's not just about faking a persona in the office. It's really about going out there, speaking with people, listening to them, also connecting to them, hearing also between the lines, what they are saying. And only if enough time is spent here, then really we have a chance to really grab the core of the problem. And when we have the core of the problem and when we have our on, and also we need, let's say, enough interviews that kind of what we hear reaches some asymptotic state that then over and over again, okay, in, in the very first 30 interviews, okay, then you hear, have a lot of kind of a distribution of in between topics. But I mean, when you reach then 100 or 200, then for sure you are in, in, in an asymptotic state where over and over you hear the same core themes and, and only at that time, when this homework is done, then you can go to the next step and start building. You know, I think about being impatient, being overly optimistic, and, and traits that I'm probably not the only one listening <laughs> that has some of those traits. I want to get after it. Yeah. And, and the discipline and the patience to sit there and ask way more people than you think you need to, that is not natural, but it's so valuable, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's also maybe one thing that is special in big corporates is that you really have to be patient because I mean, it's like, it's a big boat and you don't change things with, within a day. So, I mean, it's, and I think that's also something that really is also very challenging because I mean, if, if you are an idealistic person, if you have passion for something, then you want to move something and you want to move it now and not in two years. But actually, 
that's the horizons that you have to, to think of. It's like a little bit when you are in, in, enthusiastic about fitness training. I mean, then you kind of go to the gym and you expect results in weeks, but that's not, I mean, that's just not how it is. And the same thing is for innovations. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to something you said earlier that very often our, our innovations, our startups, or these things, they don't necessarily fail because of working off the wrong theory or the wrong framework that very often it's it's the human aspects that have failed. Can you talk more about mm. that? Yeah, I mean, I think when you start with an idea or with a vision, then basically you start, I mean, of the, the very first step is, is that you envision something out of nothing. So it's kind of a creative act. And when you have envisioned something out of nothing, then all what you have is some vibrating energy, some clouds, but actually you have nothing. And maybe you can put that nothing on a sheet of paper and then you have a fancy slide, but it's still nothing. And all what you have at that time is not the what, it's the how. It's the how you communicate, how you involve your colleagues, how you involve your management to get the budget, how you involve the customers, and also think down the road who will be affected by that topic at some certain at some point in time. And for example, one of the most overlooked group in corporates are the sales guys. So if you set up an R&D project, then you need engineers, you need product managers, you need finance controllers. And at the end of the project, okay, now we have already product and here, dear sales colleagues, please sell and we run away. But that's not the way how it works. So and going all the way back to the beginning, it's just, you have just a little bit of energy and of nothing and everything that you have at the beginning is the how. And the how is really the, the superpower behind forming a team that performs, forming a community around the idea. And really, yeah, that's, that's just everything. So, and I think that's why, and I mean, the how in the end boils down to a just really nothing. That's why I said it's innovations. It's not about tools. It's really about humans, about how you interact, how you inspire, how you, how you involve people. And I think that's more or less, yeah, the, the secret sauce. And it's actually not, not secret. Well, I want to talk about it though. You know, by the way, it's it's funny to me how technology works and the ability to get ideas from various sources. Like today, my day, I had a long podcast day today. I started off with this guy named Justin in Chicago. And then the next one was with a guy, Alex, in Copenhagen, Copenhagen and Al in outside of Kansas City. And then an Israeli guy who lives in New York, Ohad. And then just now I finished with Ben in Chicago and Lindsay in Hawaii. And it's got to be late in Germany. What time is it right now? It's nine o'clock. <laughs> well, thanks. Wrong. Thanks for doing yeah. this. And, and so I see like I get a real benefit of not just different people with different backgrounds, but it is interesting to me. I get I get this different sense of where people live and they bring they they do bring different attitudes depending on the city they're from. And it's mm -hmm. it's been fun for me. But something I was talking to Ohad about today. So he's. He's inventing a business where instead of building giant data centers, they're just putting satellites in space and they're beaming data back and mm -hmm. forth with lasers. So there's no physical storage. It's all in space. Okay. Yeah. And 
we talked about this idea of <sighs> there's so much literature. There's so many of us that know we should have cross-functional teams. And yet it's just so easy to put the sales guys together and the dev guys together and the design folks together. And, yeah. and, and we naturally group together with like-minded folks, even though you can talk to anybody in innovation and they know small pods and a diverse team and having them have feedback loops and getting good access will make things better. And yet it's, it's relatively uncommon. It seems like globally, do you have any thoughts about this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of the one thing is hearing something, reading something, maybe also getting to a seminar and being trained outside your daily work on something. And the other thing, and that's the complete different part of it, is really practicing. Practicing in your daily work, practicing in projects, and also practicing in meetings. And I think for me, one of the core things that 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 I really pursue and when I say, okay, when I have achieved this, then then I have done a good job is that ensure that the colleagues or the project teams and the project members that I have met with during the day, that at least they leave the meeting with the same amount of energy they come in. And when I have done a good job, then they leave the meeting with more energy that, that they stepped into the meeting. And I think that's so hard to practice, so hard to practice. I mean, the the pieces out there kind of putting uh, uh, people together from different uh, departments. And yes, that's that's one thing and you can do it. But I mean, just because you have a sales guy and a uh, and, 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 and different role around the table doesn't mean that they are a team. And really there has to be one guy in the room who really is very, very intentional about it on forming a team and and really kind of building some gravitational center that inspires and then holds the whole team together. And for me, it's really the joint passion for, for the common or a joint vision. Developing a vision that we are onto makes a project to their own story and also helps really to grow together and to play together. And I think a great analogy or where you can also see how, how, how it should work is then if you look into sports, I mean, professional sports teams, I mean, when you listen to them or when they had outstanding seasons, then they typically, they were not just kind of, in Germany, we are so keen about soccer. I mean, then we had, then these guys were not just 11 guys running around the field. They were really a team. They were really helping each other. And, 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 and I think that's, that's, that's practicing this on a daily basis, even if it's a late meeting, even if you had too less sleep in the night, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. And, and personally, personally, what I think here is that I think we should know from, from, from sports and also from music that just saying, okay, I played a guitar doesn't make you a good guitar player. You have to practice over and over again and not just for a week but over years and then finally you can play the guitar well and i think the same thing it's really also in business 
with running these meetings and inspiring colleagues and setting the right environment. It's not just that we step into that role and we have heard everything or read a book and then kind of finish the book and go back and okay, now I'm really here the superhero. No, it's not. It's a lifelong journey and we never end on that. And only if we practice it intentionally, intentionally, week over week, year over year, then we finally come at a state where maybe maybe really people recognize that we have struggled with ourselves for quite a long time to come here. You know, I haven't thought about it in terms of practice, but it's such a good point. You know, we had this guy on the show, George Brooks, who's got an agency out in Kansas City called Crema that like big giant companies that have put like a million dollars and a year or two worth of work on some app and it's not working. These guys get brought in to fix it. Okay. And Mm -hmm. he teaches this stuff all the time. And he and I have been working on something together. And he said, I hadn't thought about this. I like your metric of were people at least as excited when they left the meeting or preferably more excited with more energy leaving the meeting. And he's talked to me about how often they has clients on the side be like, Hey, I know I'm like the VP of engineering or the VP of innovation at this big company, but do you guys have any openings? Cause I, I like what you do. But what's funny <laughs> is his team is contagious because they practice like you're talking about, like they really yeah. practice, they really live it, you know, and, and there's, there's such of a sense of equality that like, I've been watching some like funny videos that these women on his team have made for YouTube and stuff. And like, you can just tell like people enjoy it there. And isn't yeah. that going to be like a natural creativity hack is having people like being there? Yeah, exactly. I think especially that's also one of the one of the cheapest and also most effective ones. I mean, kind of, let's say, paying good is on the long run more on hygiene factor. So if you really, let's say, one want to have employees which are not just employees but maybe who go home in the evening and really kind of take something from work back to their families which they have collected during the working day i mean then yeah i think in the end it should be really that business is a means for for personal growth and also helping others to grow and i think if 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 this and i think that dimension has to be attached to every project and every meeting and so my trick that i try to practice (laughs) as good as i can is that every wednesday evening i have a meeting with myself it's called self-reflection sometimes i skip it because (laughs) then my calendar rules me and i'm not ruling my calendar but usually i try to really really take the time and to reflect here and also another trick that i learned what is that in your calendar, you can look at the Monday morning over the week and really then schedule training meetings. Schedule training meetings for special topics. Maybe speak last or ask questions instead of kind of giving advice or something like that. So really simple things, simple things that are out there in a thousand of books. <laughs> and But nevertheless, it's not about getting the newest technique, the most fanciest technology, the most, I don't know, advanced methodology. It's really about, it boils down in the end to practice. And we really have to practice. And really one trick is here that personally also for ourselves, we can attach this different dimension to meetings. If we say, okay, I, I, 
I see my my working week kind of as a training week also as a training week like like a sports guy trains during the week then we can also training our meetings and then pick little pieces and train it over and over again until it be, it becomes really some automatic thing i mean if you look about about gymnastics i mean i don't know they practice things elements i don't know a thousand ten thousand time until it stick and until it's really ready to be on stage. And I think the same thing it's here in business. We have to practice over and over and over and over again until it really becomes some, until it's really automatic inside us and we don't have to think about anymore. That's such a good point. You know, I'm, I'm interested in these reflection meetings you schedule with yourself. Tell me more about those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have my special topics that I know, okay, that's really something that I want to practice more. And I think one of the things is that that kind of view, the general view of, of how I interact with, with, with other people. And there is this notion that was a famous psychologist, I forgot his name. And basically what he was saying is, I'm okay, you're okay. So this attitude, kind of living and also speaking with other people, with my colleagues, also with my family, in that attitude, I'm okay, you're okay. Yeah, what does and that mean to really, you? That I'm okay, you're okay. Means, what does that mean to you? That, that means to me that the other guy can be different, but nevertheless, he's okay. I don't have to teach him my way. I don't have to pull over my thoughts about... I mean, I can disagree, but I can disagree on the topic, not on the human. The human is still okay. And on the other side, I don't have to make myself smaller than I am because I'm also okay. So if, if I'm okay and, and, and you're okay, then we have kind of a, a, a equal conversation where we are both able to disagree on the topic, but nevertheless respect, respect us as humans. And I mean, one, one organization where I can practice this over and over again, and also where I'm failing over and over again is my own family with my three kids. <laughs> I mean, it's so easy as parent to step out of that role because I'm bigger than you, I'm okay, and you are the uh, little kid, and that's why you're not okay. So this is really also very, very challenging environment to practice here. So that's one of the core topics that I reflect here. Another one that I also reflect about is this push-pull principle that I was uh, taught once in the training. So kind of if you think of the energy that is flowing in a meeting, it's kind of that sometimes you really have to give energy into the conversation, that you have really kind of really take conversation methods that really kind of guide really push energy into the meeting and kind of, okay, now we have to come to some decision. We close it now and um, I do a proposal and something like that. But so that's the push. And on the other side, it's also the pull that really we have to build bridges and also ask others about their opinion, making sure that other the other person has also the time to speak and also kind of let's think of now when we are down the road, three months in that project, I mean, what has to be happened that it has been good three months. So, and I think switching intentionally between push to pull and vice versa, it's so hard to practice because typically in a meeting, when things get 
kind of, I mean, then the discussion pops up and we are really involved and maybe we have also our, our stakes in it. And then really to stay calm, not to push too much, but also not to pull too early. That's really something where, yeah, I would say I'm still in the night before day one here. So it's really hard to practice. <laughs> Yeah. How old are your kids? One, five, and seven. Okay. I've got I've got four kids, mine are a little older than you. And and as you're saying that I'm thinking like I'm just asking myself the question. I'm reflecting, like, yeah, are there times that I can be more respectful as a dad? Are there times that I could be like just slow down a little bit and go like that's a different opinion than mine, but does that mean that my opinion is better? Because I think I have some bad habits that way, you know, and <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Because there are times when kids have, you know, they just don't have maturity or they don't have all the information or they just don't have the experience. And, you know, when my 16 year old was saying that she wanted to, her, her friends going to North Africa this summer, their family's going to visit their cousins who are living there. And she was saying like, it'll be great. I really want to visit, you know, and then, you know, I'll mm -hmm. just, I can save up enough for my plane ticket and I'll fly over there. And, and then, you know, we could probably like, you know, we could probably rent a car and, and go over to Europe to, to, France, to, yeah. to Paris and stuff. And I'm like, you know, honey, you've, you've never been out of the country. I don't think we're going to let you and your 16 year old friend travel across like say Morocco or places where when my cousins yeah. were there, somebody tried to buy them for my uncle and wanted to trade them. Mm -hmm a van for it for my nieces right to own them we're probably not gonna yeah. let you we're probably not gonna let you travel there by yourself you know what i mean right yeah but then there's yeah. there are other things that i i answer quickly and i'm not i'm not as thoughtful and maybe i'm not i'm not working to see it from her point of view right and then it makes me think about you know our staff or our interns or or different people you know volunteers at our charity child rescue and like i'm an ideas yeah. guy i like to do stuff fast and I think that can often tempt me to not slow down and get everybody else's idea first. I could bulldoze a situation yeah, that, very easily, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I mean, I think I'm, I'm guilty here too. So, and although I'm really try to be very intentional here, also really try to practice here, but it's, it's so hard. I think we are never done here. And I mean, what's really funny is that recently I watched a documentation about Zen meditation and also guys doing Zen. And really what they were talking is, okay, we try to overcome our ego, make ourselves permeable and so on and so forth. And what I thought, okay, I don't have to go to that <laughs> a, a, a place far away somewhere in Japan. I mean, I can practice overcoming my ego and being permeable every day in my family. And really that's, and really, yeah, and I think that's so a challenging, challenging place because I think especially with our family, I mean, when do we see our family? We see them when we come home, maybe when we have 5%. So our battery is on 5%, it's late. And then really still being intentional on really our values and what we are pursuing the whole day during the office. And really then also keeping keeping things up and really also pushing ourselves to to be very intentional here and also the same thing is that in our families i mean i think that the the amount of how 
how deep we are involved emotionally, it still goes far beyond um, the office, or at least as I see it, it, it should be. And that makes things for me so much harder, so much harder to really, yeah, also continue practicing being intentional, sticking to my beliefs and not just falling in some bad habits that I don't know that are maybe in my head or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah. And I think the same, the same. So basically in the end, it's not just our business calendar that we can use for practice, but also, I mean, the same thing we can try to practice in our families. Okay, now I try to, I don't know, for dinner, ask my kids and try. So, I mean, there, there are so many things that we can also do here. Well, so not just on business side, but also family. You know, what, what I love about this idea is planning it in advance and going like going through my calendar and saying, okay, in this meeting, I'm going to practice this principle and not telling anybody else, but like, hey, this is going to yeah, be my, exactly. this is going to be my dojo. You know, I know in the FBI, yeah. when they're training counterintelligence agents who are trying to, you know, catch foreign spies, you know, trying to steal secrets in America mm -hmm. or whatever. They teach them about a principle called 70-30 listening when they're trying to recruit a source. And they say like, hey, mm -hmm. if you're talking more than 30% of this conversation, you're doing it wrong. And so it's this sport mm -hmm. of like, hey, can I do all the other things I'm taught to do? And they have to practice this. But did I, you know, am I talking yeah. more than 30%? At which point you better ask an open-ended question or you better do something to generate yeah. them talking enough to get your ratio back in line before the conversation's over. And we, we've run some programs with guys that teach classes like that for the FBI. And so we have, we've taught this to banks and to, you know, just other corporate clients and, and it's tough. Mm -hmm. You give, you put two senior executives together and you tell them to advise each other for 45 minutes each direction. And then an hour and a half yeah. later, you ask them how they did. And we all these, we have all these habits of telling people. We have real habits yeah. of telling and they say all the time, like how hard it was to bite their tongue. And, yeah. but you're only going to get there through practice, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think the same holds true also when it comes back then to innovations. I mean, then maybe you have a very small project, you have, you have the team members. And I think one of the, one of the core things that also I was told once in a training was, well, when when you speak the whole time or when you try to come up with the whole ideas then you limit yourself just to the things that are in your horizon. And the minute where you start asking, where you start listening, then you really can get beyond your own horizon and really grow something that goes beyond things that you could have done on your own. I love it. You know, I know we're winding down here for time. What's something else about, you know, innovating inside of a 300,000 person company that people who haven't done it might not expect? I think, hmm, what, <laughs> what can I pick here? I would say that what really is important is the topic of focus. Because, I mean, there are so many activities going on in parallel in such a big corporate. And if you just listen to the internal news channels, if you listen to the internal uh, YAMO groups and so on and so forth, it's so easy to be distracted. And I think keeping the focus on your projects, believing in the things that you are doing, 
and just kind of putting your head down and continue executing is really important. And it's so easy yeah, to be distracted because I mean, there's the management, there's the colleagues, there's the other departments and, but nevertheless, in the end, we all cook with water. And I mean, so it's, it's really important to, yeah, to really have also the patience and really to pursue uh, the things that, that, that we are onto. Well, you're talking to a guy who's got shiny penny syndrome. I'm like that, that Pixar movie up with the dog that's like talking and also goes squirrel, you know, every fancy yeah. thing that goes by. Right. And it's been a tough lesson. I feel like I have to learn that over and over and I've, I've got good partners and my spouse and all sorts of people that help me with it. But it really is like, probably the thing that's been the most helpful for me on that one is uh, Gary Keller's book, The One Thing, about thinking mm -hmm. about it in dominoes of like, Jess, I'm not saying you can't do that. You just can't do that yet. Just knock over these dominoes, focus on these dominoes, then, no. then go to that. Has helped me not feel like I'm missing out so much because that seems so sexy and exciting right now, you know? Mm. And it's, it's helped me kind of, at least to some degree, hone in on it a bit. But I, I do feel like that's a, a major failing of like drowning in opportunity. There's so many good things we could do. And I kind of want to do yeah. them all, you know, and, and having the discipline to say no or to say not yet is a, is kind of a constant struggle for me. Yeah, exactly. So for me too, and I think it's so, so important to really be very intentional here too. And I think that's not just, let's say the own agenda of the project team, but it should really be the focus has also be very aligned, let's say, with the corporate strategy and all these topics, because I mean, you can't do multiple times at one time really fast. So you really have to have the focus. And yeah, I think that's also, and also there's just one, one, one other aspect that comes to my mind when you say what is special about corporates, I think, and that's also a topic that also I try to tell colleagues over and over again is that when you work in a corporate, you see all the things that you cannot influence on your own. You see all the things that maybe are not perfect or things that go wrong and you know, okay, that's not my part. It's management should fix it or that department should fix it or maybe board members have to fix it and so on and so forth. So you can complain the whole day, the whole year about <laughs> things that are not inside the area of influence for yourself. But, and I think, and I mean, I did that too. <laughs> and, but nevertheless, I think we should not forget that everybody has really his own area of influence. And everybody has colleagues with whom you speak over the day. Everybody has projects where he works in. Everybody is part of a team. And I think we should be really more focusing on not just feeling us influenced by others but really being intentional about okay we can also we are not just influenced by others but we have also the power to influence in a positive way and also to form culture as a just a team member i can also form culture in a team when i'm not a boss when i'm just a team member i mean i maybe i have an, an, a limited influence but i nevertheless i can by 
being a role model for something that is important for me i can i can i, I can influence the culture or when i'm working in the in a project and i'm not let's say satisfied or i'm with the way how the other projects do i can also say the project team hey why not using this and that technique this really sounds appealing to me let's let's try to practice it or maybe even practice on your own and i think really it's so easy in corporates to be distracted and kind of starting in looking to things that we cannot influence on our own, rather than focusing on the area of influence that we have and really, really be intentional about it and making the best out of it. And if everybody starts that, then we can, we can change around the whole elephant. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, listen, if people want to find out about your innovation coaching, what, what's the website? Where should people connect with you? I think the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. There is also then the link to my website. It's uh, top-freelance.de. It's a German domain. So if you want to reach out to me, just go on LinkedIn and I'm happy to connect with you. Too fun. Well, well, thanks for doing this. I know it took me a while to convince you to come on, but I'm glad you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm so happy that finally you just asked me one once more and really, I really appreciate that. And thanks so much. Yeah, you bet. Thanks everybody for listening.